The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. One of the incredible privileges that I have as a minister is that I understand that I'm a custodian of the Easter message. And what an incredible privilege it is to know that God has chosen me as a custodian of this message. And so today there are many messages that are flying around, many messages that the media are trying to communicate to you. But you've come to this church today and there's one particular message that I feel privileged to impart to you. And that's the message of the Easter story. Then when you come on Sunday, it's Resurrection Sunday, And I feel again the incredible privilege of sharing with you the significance of the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. But I want to start the story today at the finish. And so if you open your Bibles to John chapter uh, 19, we'll read this verse, verse 20. The title of my message is called The Beautiful Exchange. And uh, we're going to sing the song at the end of the service, the beautiful exchange. But let's read John chapter 19, verse 30. And it says this. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. In order for a story to have a finish, it must also have a beginning. So let's, let's start at the beginning. And where does the beginning of this story take us? It takes us right to the Garden of Eden. The beginning of the story is the Garden of Eden where God created man and woman in order to have relationship with them. What an incredible thing that God created this universe. He created the animals. He created everything. And, 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 and then he decided, I want to create this incredible creation In my image, the image of God, in order that I, the creator, might have relationship with a being that's been created in my image. And so he created man and woman in order to have relationship. And the relationship was so beautiful that every day God would come to the garden, come into their world. And walk with them and talk with them and have this incredible communication with them. And so he basically, he basically just said, it's all yours. Whatever you see you can have, it's all yours. But there's only just one requirement. One requirement. You say, one? What's the one? There's this tree. It's called the knowledge of good and evil. So I don't want you to eat the fruit of that tree. So you can do anything else that you like. There's no laws. There's no rules. There's just one requirement. That fruit on that tree, don't eat it, okay? How many of you think that would be pretty simple to obey that? You reckon that would be pretty simple to obey that? And so it's an amazing thing with us humans. It's like the forbidden fruit seems to be the sweetest fruit. And so they were able to do anything that they wanted, but it's like they were drawn to this tree. And you know the story. The story is this, that they were tempted. 
Both, both Adam and Eve were both tempted. Even though Eve tasted first, Adam was there. He could have stopped the whole program. He didn't. They ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and a catastrophe happened. What was the catastrophe that happened? Sin entered into the human race. Our problem today is that someone has defined sin for us, and it's not a biblical definition of sin. It's a worldly definition of sin. See, if you look at the biblical definition of sin, it is very simple. Here it is. The biblical definition of sin is not obeying God. There was only one request, and they disobeyed it, and that's how sin entered the world. See, today, someone's defined sin for us as, well, you're a sinner if you murder people. You're a sinner if you're a pedophile. You're a sinner if you, know, if you destroy rainforests. You're a sinner. And, and so someone has defined what sin is. And the average Australian feels, well, I don't murder people. I'm not a pedophile. I don't destroy rainforests. Therefore, I'm a good person. But I want to tell you that someone has redefined sin. And I want to bring it back to the biblical definition of sin. And the biblical definition of sin is not obeying God's will. So is there anyone here that can honestly tell me that your whole life you've always obeyed God's will? You've never ever told a lie because God doesn't want you to tell lies. You've never ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you because God doesn't want us to steal. You've never even said a bad word about anybody because God does not want us to kill people emotionally. I, I don't think there's anyone here. So, so, so clearly, every single one of us, under God's definition, have sinned. And what we need to do is come back to the biblical definition because that's the right definition. And, 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 and understand that somebody has switched the price tags and has given you the wrong price tag. Someone has switched the tags and tried to redefine sin on your behalf When only God has the power to define what it is. So we see that there are consequences. And the consequences were immediately there was separation between God and man. And immediately there was, there was like a wall that was built. Have, have, have any of you ever been in a relationship where you've done something wrong and a wall sort of comes up between the relationship. Have you, have, you, have you experienced that? What a terrible thing it is to have a war. Maybe some of you are experiencing that right now in family relationships where something's happened and bang, a wall's gone up. That's exactly what Adam and Eve experienced with God. This wall went up. And consequently, right throughout humanity, there was this wall between God and man. So the story then moves on and it reaches a high point. In Egypt, we're talking literally thousands of years later, we see that God's people went to Egypt and there they were persecuted and there they were in captivity for over 400 years. And God raises up a deliverer called Moses. You all know the story of Moses. And Moses goes to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and says, let my people go. He doesn't want to let them go. 
And then Moses says, well, if you don't let the people go, judgment's going to come to Egypt. And judgment came via the 10 plagues of Egypt. And so then the story takes us to the 10th plague. And the 10th plague was a devastating plague. And it was the plague of death. But God, knowing that the death angel was coming, wanted to create a way of escape for his people. And so the message went out. Get hold of this. This is so important for you to understand this. The death angel is coming. Judgment is coming. But if you want to escape the judgment, here it is. What you need to do is get a lamb. Make sure it's a pure lamb. Make sure it's an an unblemished lamb. If you're too poor to find a lamb for yourself, a group of you get together and together get this lamb. And then what you're to do is that you are to kill this lamb and take the blood of this lamb and sprinkle it on the lintels and the doorposts of your house. Make sure that it's The sign is clear that this house has had a sacrifice, that this house has already experienced death, the death of a pure, unblemished lamb. And when the death angel comes to your house and he sees the blood upon the doorposts and upon the lintels, the death angel will pass over your house because your house has already made the exchange. The lamb has died in the place of the firstborn. Wow. The lamb has died in the place of the firstborn and judgment is averted. Now, Let me tell you what happens next. The story then takes us another 1,500 years forward. And now we come to Jesus. This is the amazing story of Jesus. We read it in John chapter 1, where uh, the prophet of the day, his name is John the Baptist. Matter of fact, John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. But he was a prophet. He was sent from God to prepare the way of the Lord. And one day he's with his disciples and he sees Jesus walking down the road. And he says to his disciples, he points to Jesus and says, see that man over there? They go, yeah, yeah, we see him. Then John makes this incredible, this incredible statement. See that man over there? He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And immediately the disciples connected the Lamb of God to the Passover Lamb from the Exodus. Immediately that connection was made between the two. Why is that? Because it was very clear that when when the angel appeared to Joseph, and you can read this in Matthew chapter 1, the angel appeared to Joseph and said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And immediately you've got this connection that this little baby was born to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. 
That this little baby was not born just to live and die of old age. This little baby was born with a purpose. This little baby was born to be the sacrificial lamb of God to die in our place. And so it brings us back to my initial text where Jesus now is upon the cross. He's hanging there suspended between heaven and earth, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, crown of thorns upon his head. And he cries out with a loud voice, it is finished. The story from, from, from the Garden of Eden where the first sin was committed right through the generations of mankind now culminates on the cross where Jesus is able to say, the lamb is about to die. The sacrifice is about to die. The penalty is about to be paid. And it's interesting, I did a word study on that word, it is finished. It's a Greek word, teleo. And it means it is completed. It is accomplished. It is perfected. The price, the full price has been paid. When Jesus said it is finished, what he was saying is the task that has been set before me has been accomplished perfectly. The price of sin was paid for. In Jesus, the sin of the whole human race that lived before and after his death. Every single sin that humanity has ever, ever performed was paid for through the death of the Son of God. Come on, if you're ever going to clap, now's the time to clap and say thank you, Jesus. What happened 2,000 years ago on the cross was the beautiful exchange. The beautiful exchange. And I want to share with you this morning just seven aspects of this beautiful exchange. Just seven simple aspects. The first one is so clear, and that is that he died so that we might live. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 to 10, it says this, For God did not appoint us to wrath, Can you believe that? That God never designed us to be subjected to his wrath. But he he appointed us to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Here's this exchange, just this beautiful exchange. He died so that we might live. He gave his life so that we might have life. And there's two aspects to the life that God gives us. Here it is. Number one, abundant life now. And number two, eternal life then. See, too many people are so focused on eternal life then that they forget about the gift of abundant life now. Jesus said, I have come in John chapter 10. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Don't think for one second that when you give your life to Jesus, you're going to live a miserable life. I'm telling you, that's the biggest lie that the devil has tried to give humanity. 
that, that, that people in their sin can have abundant life. Let me tell you, there's nothing more beautiful in life than to know that you're right with God. That to know that you don't have to walk in shame and guilt any longer. That to know that every single sin has been forgiven, that you will never ever be confronted again with the sins that have been forgiven. Such is the power of the blood of Jesus that it cleans to the uttermost those that are saved. Bible tells us that when he forgives our sins, he separates them from us as far as the east is from the west. Never, ever, ever to be confronted. How many, don't have to put up your hand, but how many of you feel some shame over something that you've done sometime in your life? You feel the guilt, you feel the weight of it, you feel so shocking and terrible about what you've done. Well, I want to tell you that at the foot of the cross, you receive forgiveness. At the foot of the cross, you receive cleansing he takes away your burden he takes away your shame he takes away your guilt and he replaces it with life what a wonderful thing it is to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross and ask for forgiveness ask for repentance oh god forgive me and he says because you've asked i will give it because my blood avails for you what a beautiful exchange he's death for our life and it doesn't stop there. Then we have this assurance of eternal life. We have this assurance that when we go to the grave site of a Christian, that we do not grieve as the world grieves. Why is that? Because we know that death for us is one aspect to another, is changing from one aspect to another. For us, death has lost its sting. For us, death only means this temporal separation. But there is a day coming when the dead in Christ shall raise first and then we who are alive will be caught up in the clouds to meet them in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be transformed and we will live with him forever and ever as saints of God. Why? Because Jesus died that we might have eternal life. What a joy that is. Let me tell you the second aspect of this beautiful exchange. He was broken that we might be made whole. In a few moments, we're going to do communion in our church. And the text for our communion is simply that he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So I don't know if any of you have ever seen The Passion of the Christ, that movie that Mel Gibson made, but I, I suppose it's probably, you know, as a church, we find it too gory to do, to do movies of it because it is just very confronting and there are children in this auditorium and we don't want to give them nightmares. But in actual fact, that's probably the closest depiction of what took place. What we will show you this morning later on is a depiction of the crucifixion of Jesus, but it's, it's nowhere near as graphic as Mel Gibson's movie. When I saw, when I saw that movie, and, I'm not a, and I'm not, I've not been able to watch it too many times because it's just so graphic and it just makes me so emotional. You see the brokenness that Jesus went through. His body was broken. So when, when he was lashed by the Roman soldiers, literally he, all the skin on his back was peeled off. And what was exposed was muscle and tendons and 
And it was just this graphic, horrible depiction of his brokenness. But this is the exchange. You've got to get the beautiful exchange that he was broken that you might be made whole. You've got to connect the two. If you don't connect the two, it's just gore. But when you connect the two, you say, God, I don't have to be broken if you were broken on my behalf. And now you want to exchange wholeness. And this is what Jesus does. He puts you together. Whole. And do you know what? I see a lot of people that, that are working hard to become physically whole. And that's awesome. But what about becoming emotionally whole and spiritually whole? Then I see some people that, yeah, they get physically whole, they get spiritually whole because they understand a little bit of theology, they understand, but they don't let the wholeness and the wellness come into their emotions, where they live life always offended. What a terrible way to live life, always offended. Do you know what my goal in life is? My goal in life is to live life unoffendable. You say, but, but I don't like you. That's your problem. I'm not going to be offended by it. I hate the fact that you preach so loud. That's your problem. I'm going to keep preaching loud. You say, but don't you get offended? I used to. And then I began to realize that by me getting offended, it doesn't hurt anybody except me. So I decided if Jesus was broken, that I might be whole, then I'm going to be whole spiritually, emotionally, and physically. In every aspect of my life, this great exchange, and he makes a way for me to be whole. Here's the third one. He was made sin that I might be made righteous. Do you know what I find? This is so deep that I find it difficult to grasp hold of. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says that he was made sin that we might be the righteousness of God in him. That when Jesus was on that cross, that he actually took upon himself the sins of the whole world. When he was on that cross, he took upon himself all of the sins of the Nazis. All of the sins of the communists, all of the sins of the Pol Pot regime, all of the sins of every horrible dictator that's ever lived on the face of the earth and made it possible even for them to be saved. He took the sins of mankind. He took the sins, not just of the Hitlers and the Pol Pots, but of little Johnny stealing a cake when he shouldn't have been stealing a cake. From the big sins to the little sins to everything in between, sin is sin. And the nature of sin is sin. Whether it's big or small, it has the same DNA. And that DNA separates us from God. But here's what Jesus did. He took upon himself all of your sins, every single one of your mistakes, to make this beautiful exchange so that you might be righteous. But how can I be righteous? Simply. By having the exchange take place. That I can be the righteousness of God in Christ. So that because of Jesus, I actually, this is what the writer of the Hebrews says, I can actually with boldness enter the presence of God. With boldness. Why is that? Because I am the righteousness of God in Christ. 
You say, but how's that possible? I don't know how it's possible. All that I know is that this beautiful exchange took place. He became sin that I might be the righteousness of God in Christ. I don't have to fully understand it to receive it. All that I know is that that is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And when God looks at me now, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a righteous man because of the great exchange. Number four, this is, this is so powerful. This, this beautiful exchange, number four, where Jesus on the cross, he cries out. And to this day, and I've been preaching now for over three decades, to this day, I still can't fathom the depth of this. This is so deep that I still have difficulty understanding how deep this statement is. When on the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All that I know is this, that he was forsaken by God so that I might be accepted by God. He made this exchange at this time in the history of the universe. The son was forsaken by the father. Don't ask me how it works because I still can't understand it. All that I know is this, is that sin separates us from God. And when on that cross, Jesus became sin on our behalf, he was forsaken by God, the father. And he bore that punishment by himself. And let me tell you, sometimes we focus on the human suffering of Jesus and not focus on this spiritual suffering where the son was forsaken by the father but he did it for you he did it for you i want everybody to say that he did it for me he did it for me i want everybody to say he suffered for me he was forsaken by god that i might be accepted by god what a beautiful exchange What a beautiful exchange. Number five. He was cursed that we might be blessed. You say, how was Jesus cursed? Well, it tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. What that means is this, is when Jesus hung upon the cross that's made from a tree, then the Jewish people saw that as obviously a man who dies like that is cursed. And so the Bible tells us that that he became a curse, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us, the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I want you to focus on this for a little while. Because in so many cultures, and we have a lot of Asian people here, the curse is a very real thing. And we believe in the power of a curse. But you know what? I am no longer under the domination of the fear of a curse. I don't have to be afraid of any curse. I don't care who puts a wicked spell upon me and they've tried but it just falls off. Why? Because I've got this force shield around me. It's called the force shield of blessing. You want to curse me? In actual fact, it turns into blessing. 
You want to curse me? Go your hardest. Why is that? Because Jesus became a curse that I might be blessed. You want to curse my marriage? Try your hardest. But my marriage is blessed. And you know what? I, I've, I've had witches try to curse my, my marriage. But you know what? They've failed. They've come and they've gone. Why? Because God's blessed my marriage. And it's got a false shield of blessing upon it. Matter of fact, I remember in the early days when I was a brand new pastor, just uh, trying to overcome all of my fears. And uh, at the very town that I lived in back then, there was a satanic bookshop. And, you know, and I've been brought up under the fear of anything to do with Satan and demons and stuff. And so, and so some Christians would walk on the other side of the street. But I remember saying, no, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so I'd, I'd actually walk into the bookshop. And as I'd walk in, with this power of God upon my life, Literally, people would be pushed up against the wall as I would walk in with this full shield of blessing upon my life. And I began to understand that Jesus took my curse and I'm blessed. And I walk with a blessing on my life. Wherever I go, I'm blessed. And that's for you as well, my friend. Why is this? Because a beautiful exchange took place where he took your curse so that you might take his blessing. Come on, don't live under the fear of the curse. Don't live under that. That's not what God wants for you. He wants you to walk in blessing because he died upon the cross to make that beautiful exchange. He became a curse that you might be blessed. Number six, he was wounded that we might be healed. He was wounded. What a beautiful exchange. Isaiah 53 verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, by his lashings, by his whipping, we are healed. Come on, folks. Right now as I'm speaking this word, the presence of God is in this house. He can bring healing to you wherever you are seated right now. He said, but someone's got to pray for me. He's already done the work for you. All you've got to do is appropriate it. Appropriate it. Come on, understand this, that he was wounded, that we might be healed. This great exchange took place upon the cross. It wasn't just your sins that were forgiven, but he made a way for all your sicknesses to be healed. What an incredible exchange. And you know what? While I've still got breath in my lungs, I'll still keep preaching it. Because what Jesus did was so overwhelming. And this morning, you're just getting a glimpse of some of the benefits. And number seven, here it is. Number seven, the seven aspect of the beautiful exchange is this. He became poor that we might be rich. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, too many people only interpret this in one dimension, and that's the dimension of money. I, I believe that that dimension is involved in that. But there's so much more to the richness that God wants to give you than just the richness of money. What about the richness of knowledge? What about the richness of grace? What about the, the richness of being complete in Him? 
What about the richness of knowing that he will never leave you nor forsake you? What about the richness of knowing that even though you went into the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil because his rod and his staff, they comfort you. So many people live life below the line. So many people live life poor in spirit, poor in soul, poor in body, poor in in grace, poor in words. They open their mouth and all that comes out are, are words of a pauper. Oh, I'm just a worm. I'm miserable. I'm rotten. I'm a loser. How poor are you? When Jesus became poor that you might be rich, so that when you open your mouth, you might say, I'm a child of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I have heaven as my inheritance. I've got the creator of the universe as my father. He's able to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Jesus made the way. What a beautiful exchange. Come on, don't live below the line. Don't live below the poverty line when Jesus wants you to live above the line. Head high, shoulders back, walking with dignity, not with pride. We don't walk with pride, but we walk with dignity. We walk knowing, I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. My name is written in the book of heaven. When I get to those pearly gates, I don't have to do somersaults and, and do all sorts of tricks and trades and, 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 and show what's been, what, what are all the good things that I've done. No, when I get to those gates, that book is opened. They're going to look and say, John Juliano, we've been waiting for you. Your name's been written in this book since you were seven years of age, when in that little church in Newcastle, your Sunday school teacher wrote your name in the Bible, and you read it for the first time. For God so loved John that he gave his only begotten son, that if John believes in him, John will not perish but have everlasting life. As a seven-year-old, you believed, and when we saw your belief, we wrote your name in the book of life. John, welcome into heaven. Jesus paid the price for you to be here. Friends, the biggest lie that Australians believe is that you'll get there by the good things that you've done. If you believe that, then actually what you're doing is that you're undermining what Jesus did. If you could get there by the good things that you did, he wouldn't have had to die. But the fact is, there is no way that your goodness will get you to heaven. There's only one way. His name's Jesus. He gave his life that you might have life and life forevermore. Come on, let's give him some praise this morning. Jesus, we want to thank you. Jesus, we want to praise you. Jesus, we want to glorify you. I'm going to finish this message this morning by saying this. You choose. This morning, it's your choice whether you want to live with Christ or live without Christ. You choose this morning whether you want to make this beautiful exchange where you take his righteousness, you take his blessing, you take his life into your life. And so here's the great exchange. Here it is. You're standing before Jesus and Jesus says, I've got righteousness in my hands. 
And you say, but Jesus, all I've got is sin in my hands. And Jesus says, if you give me your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. He said, what sort of a deal is that? I don't know, but it's surely got to be the greatest exchange that ever takes place. Your sin for his righteousness. But you know what's stopping a lot of people from doing this? Let me tell you what's stopping them is pride. And until you humble yourself, you can't do it. And so here it is this morning. It's so simple. All you've got to do is, number one, admit that there's sin in your hands. Can you admit it? Then number two, what you've got to do is believe that Jesus died upon the cross to take away all of your sins. Do you believe that? And then number three, what you've got to do is confess him as your Lord and Savior. Confess him. Lord, if you died for me, I'm willing to live for you and obey you to the ends of my day. So if you're willing to admit you've sinned, believe that Jesus died for you, confess him as your Lord and Savior, then today you're ready to be saved. Come on, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 